Greetings, and welcome to the Fellows Lecture Series podcast. I'm your host today, Dr. Myra Liu, and I'm joined with Dr. Brett Torsdahl, a primary care sports and family medicine doctor at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York City. Dr. Torsdahl serves as an assistant attending physician and research director for the HSS Primary Care Sports Medicine Service. He is also a team physician for U.S. Biathlon. Brett, welcome to the program. Thanks, Myra. Thanks so much for the invite to speak to the fellows with the online lecture series. It was fun doing a podcast too. Today we are discussing sudden cardiac arrest and prevention in the athlete. It's interesting how you just went over sudden cardiac arrest pathophysiology for a normal heart and abnormal heart. Let's start with the normal heart and what causes sudden cardiac arrest. There's certainly fewer pathways from getting a from having a normal heart to ending up with a cardiac arrest, but the few of them that are important for folks to know about are commotio cordis, uh, which typically affects young male athletes who may be hit in the chest with a hard object like a baseball, hockey puck, and then the medical conditions, uh, myocarditis is seen in viral illnesses, now uh, seen after COVID, so that's been a consideration of late and substance abuse is another way that somebody could have a normal heart and still experience a cardiac arrest. That's interesting. With uh, you did mention commotio cordis, and I know that we talked in the in the prior lecture about having an emergency action plan. So, what is the with things with commotio cordis? What what should the fellow or the physician have on hand for prevention wise? Right, because with commotio cordis, there's no screening that you could use to. Identify, uh, prevent that from happening. So you're really dependent on the emergency action plan and that goes for all types of um, cardiac conditions as well because some of them won't be easily identified on screening and even sometimes if you are managing an athlete who has an underlying heart condition, you wanna make sure that you're ready for an event if they were, if uh, starting cardiac arrest occurs. But in commotion cortis, uh, it's similar emergency responses in any cardiac arrest that it, you have to have that high level of suspicion that if there's an athlete that collapses in this case after uh, some sort of trauma to the chest uh, or impact to the chest that uh, you want to be ready to go with CPR with AED application and that is the best way of potentially allowing that young athlete to survive. The survival from commotio cordis may not be as high as some of the other more electrical conditions, but it is uh, something that is survivable with early uh, treatment. Gotcha. So again, you know, like you said, having that emergency action plan, kind of knowing where those AEDs are and, and getting uh, and recognizing early so you can actually take action. And then I guess what the other thing that, so that's more of the, the normal heart with sudden cardiac arrest. Now, what about like the abnormal heart? So can you, can you talk a little bit about that with kind of what we're looking for with screening for sudden cardiac arrest? Yeah, with an abnormal heart, we're talking either a structural or electrical condition that the athlete uh, has that may be causing some symptoms, but just haven't been uh, identified as being due to a cardiac condition, or they may be asymptomatic. Many of the cases that, uh, many cases of sudden cardiac arrest when i uh, gone back to look at the athletes' pre-participation evaluations ahead of time. They're not necessarily consistent symptoms that are identified then that would predict a cardiac arrest from happening. So we have to realize that uh, symptoms alone or exam alone may not 
identify many of these cases. So of the structural heart conditions, that's where we're thinking about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, ARVC, and different valvular heart conditions. Uh, Marfans would be in more of the structural heart condition. And so that's one, L one aspect of their structural heart problems that underlie the predisposed athletes to cardiac arrest. Um, the electrical abnormalities that predispose athletes would be your long QT syndrome, uh, Wolf Parkinson White, Brugada, which is more rare. But those are just a few examples of different electrical conditions that could, that sometimes can be um, identified early and can make a big difference. They're, they're manageable in some cases where athletes don't necessarily have to completely forgo their athletic goals, but are able to potentially uh, participate with a lower risk if, say, they have Wolf Parkinson White and are identified to have a pathway that's amenable to ablation or long QT syndrome where they can be effectively treated with beta blockers. Gotcha. So that's, again, with those electrical conditions, like you said, it's not like a game changer, but it's best to you know, go ahead and get the recognition, get the proper follow-up so that they can undergo the treatment that they need to continue participating. Now, I know that's with the structural and electrical heart uh, issues that you talked about there, that seems to be more of a, a younger age. Is there a certain age that, that you look at where, where again, there's, there's something that might be more prevalent uh, for the abnormal heart? Yeah, the conditions that underlie cardiac arrest change over time so that as people get older and the prevalence of coronary artery disease increases, uh, there comes a time at which more often it occurs uh, that the cardiac arrest is due to coronary artery disease. 35 is often that age, uh, that point in life that it seems like the studies show it that you're more likely to have a cardiac arrest due to, sudden car due to coronary artery disease than other cardiac conditions, but it's not necessarily like on your 35th birthday, you're going to wake up and no longer be at risk of anything else from your younger days and only be at risk of coronary artery disease. So it's a bit of a, a transition period there. Gotcha. Gotcha. So again, the things that still plague us as we're young can also follow us as, as we're older. Um, yeah, but hopefully though, yeah. you'd have, it would be identified one way or the other where somebody may have symptoms or undergo some screening whether through sports or just as a through their primary care doc to be able to identify those things and it's just changes our screening strategies um, that as coronary artery disease becomes more prevalent that things like arresting ECG become less effective at identifying findings that would correspond with that. Gotcha. I know you just kind of segued into the screening, right? I know we talked earlier about how screening has decreased the incidence of sudden cardiac arrest in the screened athlete, which I believe is quite amazing. Um, what are we currently doing for athletes for screening? It really depends on the context and whether it's a high school athlete, college athlete, professional athlete, and the type of sport that they're participating in. There's certain sports that are at highest risk for cardiac arrest. It's often basketball has been cited as the highest risk. Football is a common sport where uh, cardiac arrest occurs. So those sports are often screened with more advanced um, studies using ECG, sometimes stress echoes, such as in the NBA, WNBA will use stress echoes. So it's dependent on the context, but then also 
what's available in terms of local resources and what's reasonable given the risk of the sport. Gotcha. So like you said, just more of a, depends on what level of, of athlete and what your resources are for that screening. But to kind of further elaborate on just EKGs, there is, there's also athletes may have multiple, I guess you would say normal findings of EKGs. And there's like things like incomplete right bundle branch block, as well as increased voltage for uh, left ventricular hypertrophy. What should the clinician use for EKG interpretation criteria? There have been a few different criteria that have been published over the years. The current criteria is the international recommendations that came out in 2017. And that added this middle category of a borderline ECG finding that wasn't present in the Seattle criteria of 2013. So from the 2017 studies, we now have an, a list of normal findings that um, in athletes are considered to be normal for response physiologic adaptations to exercise. The borderline ECG findings, if one is present, that can still be considered a normal ECG, two or more is an abnormal. And then folks would probably be familiar with the abnormal ECG findings that uh, look very similar to the Seattle criteria, that those are the ones that require further workup. Gotcha. And some of that further workup, like you were saying, is into like the, the echoes, the stress echoes, stress test, stuff like that, correct? Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. And I believe lastly, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about COVID, um, especially in the times of this pandemic. In the past, there were different return to play guidelines for adult athletes and competitive sports. What does the current data tell us on how to return these athletes after contracting COVID? That's been changing, and I think we'll probably see some updated guidelines after um, much of the young population of athletes are getting vaccinated. Uh, but for the most part, it really depends on the amount of symptoms. So people who are asymptomatic are able to get back pretty quickly without further testing. Those with mild symptoms, as long as they have resolution of their symptoms for, of course, for a period of seven days, and it's been 10 days since the onset of symptoms, that's where people can return to sport without additional testing. It's more the folks with the moderate symptoms, uh, the prolonged um, illness that require further testing with ECG uh, echo, sometimes some uh, additional blood tests to help identify those who may have some residual lung problems with the PFTs, or they may actually have underlying myocarditis, which has been identified in a small percentage of athletes with COVID. Gotcha. So thank you. Yeah, it's it's one where they're, again, if, if they have something as far as abnormal, then again, further testing, just like our ECG screening, that's, I guess, is, the, is what we're looking at. But again, Brett, I think that's all I have today. I want to thank you again for your time. I hope you, the listener, enjoy the program and tune again to join us on the Fellows Lecture Series podcast. Uh, the views expressed are those of the speaker and don't represent the official policy or position of the AMSSM, the United States government, the United States military, or Cornell Medical College. Thank you, Brett. Thank you.